I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. I'm sure this thing wasn't built for little blokes. <laughs> Should have worn my platform shoes tonight. Uh, Matthew 13. I can remember 15 years ago, and it was about this time 15 years ago, that I first heard of the potential of being spirit-filled and, of course, uh, the evidence of speaking in tongues was totally new to us and uh, the whole concept of being saved really wasn't part of my uh, idea and thinking. And I can remember uh, for some years, well, for four years, we, we argued about the, the concept of whether a person needs to be baptised or whether a person needs to receive God's Spirit and speak in tongues and was the healing power of God available and so on. And uh, I was always uh, debating uh, what I might have to give up and how my life might have had to change and so was my wife. It wasn't my wife at that time but uh, became my wife. She was uh, wondering whether she might have to change her lifestyle. And uh, we never came to a meeting to uh, ever hear the word of God uh, preached from the platform as it were but uh, my mother got me along to Pastor Lloyd's house one particular night. And... Uh, the thought that night was that my wife was most concerned. She was a ballroom dancer and uh, had won a number of trophies and so on and uh, she was concerned that she might have to give up ballroom dancing and, uh, and so introduce a whole new uh, lifestyle. And I was, uh, oh, well, involved in a bit of sporting activities and so on. I felt that perhaps that uh, uh, might be interfered with and I had to change my style of living. A number of other things too, which uh, could well be done without, I suppose, but also felt that might be hindered too. Well, I can remember in the middle of this conversation, Pastor Lloyd said to me, after we were talking about some of these things, uh, would you like a game of croquet? Well, for those who don't know, Pastor Lloyd's got a fairly big front garden. In the front garden, there are some croquet rings. And uh, uh, it was about half past nine at night, so unless he had floodlights, it was going to be difficult. Anyway, he said, would you like a game of croquet? Well, not having ever played croquet in my life and never having really ever been inspired by such a thought, uh, I didn't really hesitate to say, well, you know, what do you mean? Uh, you know, it didn't really grab me at that time. And uh, after discussing it for a while, he said, well, it wouldn't matter to you if we didn't particularly play tonight then. And I said, no, couldn't care two hoots, actually. Uh, and he said, well, so it is with anything else, that as we dedicate our ways to God, we should find a total new attitude to things that we might have uh, uh, clung to dearly and felt that they were uh, a part and parcel of our life and so meaningful to us and we couldn't live without them or without it or whatever and uh, suddenly we find and hopefully that's the way it should be that we suddenly realise that we've got a whole new attitude to life. Behold, all things have become new. Now the thoughts I want to express tonight as I felt were appropriate perhaps for the beginning of a, of a new year, whatever the Lord may give us this year to be involved with his work and service to his name, is uh, what price the kingdom? And for those people who might well be new in our midst tonight, maybe it's your very first meeting, maybe you've been around and considered the sorts of things that uh, my wife and I had considered. What is going to happen to us? What are the sort of changes that are going to take place? How's our life going to be affected? Uh, we're going to, to lose out. Things are going to happen to us which are going to make us all miserable and wretched. Uh, we couldn't see the positive side of things. We could only see what we might have to hand over. Well, of course, there may be people here who have been in the Lord 15 years and are still having their difficulties 
with some things that tend to cling on. And the question we must ask ourselves tonight and as we go on in the service of the Lord, what price the kingdom? Have we put a value on it somewhere on the line? Have we said to ourselves, dancing is a little more important? And so we've constructed a scale where the kingdom fits down below certain things which we consider to be of greater value. Now, we're talking here about the kingdom of God and the Bible says in Romans and elsewhere it's describing the kingdom. We're not talking about meat and drink. We're not talking about the natural realm. We're not talking about political kingdoms or kings as such and shahs and emperors and so on. We're talking about the realm of God's spirit. We're talking about joy, peace and righteousness in the Holy Ghost, all the people said. And so, is there any way at all that any person on the face of this globe could put a price on that kingdom, God's kingdom, our Lord and Saviour's kingdom? Well, in Matthew 13, our Lord and Saviour had this to say. And verse 44... These are what are called the kingdom parables. Verse 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. And this particular man was stumbling along in life generally, and he stumbled across the kingdom of God exactly as it happened to me. I was holidaying at Christmas in a place called Mandurah, 55 miles south of Perth, and I couldn't have cared two hoots about anything to do with God. I paid him no respect whatsoever. I didn't give him one second of a year, yet alone of a day. I was too concerned about whether I was having a good time, whether things were going my way, whether I was gaining the sorts of pleasures that I was seeking for or not. And I stumbled across it because my uncle, who's now the pastor of the Perth Assembly, Alan Thomas, got filled with the Holy Ghost while I was over in Perth. He was in Melbourne at the time living there. And uh, he told my mother, uh, which is of course his sister, and she rode across to us. And so there we were in Mandurah, 2,000 more miles away from home at a kitchen table reading a letter written by my mother about her brother and she didn't even really know what had happened to him and she was trying to explain it to us in a letter. None of us really knew what it was all about. But there we had come across the key to the treasure, the kingdom of God. Well, we didn't sell all that we had at that time. As we just said before, we debated about it and argued about it. Well, here is a person who recognised the treasure and recognised that there was nothing to be compared with it. Whatever we had, whatever our aspirations, whatever our goals in this world, there was nothing that could even be on the same scale as the value and the greatness of our kingdom which we have become a partaker of through his spirit. And for those who are new in our midst tonight, well, there's nothing better. Maybe you were introduced to this thing because of some person who spoke to you. Or maybe you stumbled along down the street and wondered what it was all about and have just wandered in tonight. Well, you can thank God you have found now the great potential. Not in the building, 
not in something that we can offer you in the sense that we are the ones who uh, have the capacities. God is the almighty God and he's the one who's prepared to fill you with the Holy Ghost and fire. And verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. And many a person has testified how they'd prayed to God, how they'd been to one group or another, they'd sought around, and finally the goodly pearl was found. Who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And we're not talking about several alternatives. We're not talking about whether this group is right and that group is a little less right or that one over there is a little more right and this one will be acceptable and God loves us all and doesn't really care anyway. There was one pearl and it was sought after by this particular person and when it was found, he gave the rest away. He gave everything away to have that pearl as his own possession. This is the treasure and what we want to engender in ourselves tonight. What are we prepared to put before the kingdom of God? What are we holding back? What are we retaining? What are the things that are hindering us? Whether we've been in the Lord a week, haven't come to the Lord yet, or been around for 25 years. You know, maybe other people do too, whom you've spoken to and who've recognised some difficulty. But you are the one who's best in a position to understand and recognise your own personal priorities. Are you one of these two people? Have you stumbled across the kingdom of God and recognising and appreciating it and valuing it above everything else in the world are prepared to let everything else go? Or is there something to which we are clinging on to? Something to which we, we don't really want to let go? Something to which perhaps, or maybe God wouldn't mind if we retain this? After all, he knows we're only human, as so many a person has said. Well, uh, Matthew 6. Is it safe to drink this water? Mark 16, I see. Yes. Is this the water everybody dies of diseases? This is the Murray water, isn't it? Oh, well, it's got a taste to it. I didn't think water had a taste to it. Mmm, <laughs> got a colour too. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. And that's the words of Jesus Christ and there's no doubt about it. And we can have a substitute for the kingdom of God in almost innumerable ways. We've, uh, we're clever at inventing different things which become our priorities, which seem to hinder us, which seem to hold us back, which seem to interfere with us which seem to unsettle us, trouble us, concern us. Instead of having our heart and our mind and our, our attitude and our service fixed on the kingdom of God and prepared and willing to forsake anything and everything for the glory of God and our great inheritance, we hold back 
Something keeps us home. Something keeps us from witnessing to somebody. Something keeps us from uh, uh, just involving ourselves with the word and with our prayer and holds us back in, in our general testimony and our general involvement in the ways of God. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And many are inclined to just to merely uh, perhaps put money in there as, uh, as just the alternative. But we're not just talking about that tonight. We're talking about what this scripture is laying up. The scripture is telling us here about where our treasure is. What do we think is important? What is relevant to our life? What are we here about now? What's it all about? What is our direction and purpose in life? Why were we born? Why are we here tonight? What's it all about tomorrow? Is it in our, in our work, in our home, in our garden? As we'll talk about some of these things and we'll talk about 20 or 30 of them. And no doubt you could double that list. Or do we understand now that we are called to serve one master and one only and he's jealous, all the people said, and he will not share his throne with another or another thing or another uh, love. We must be single in our purpose, in our dedication. Maybe we should be speaking to some of the people who have left some empty chairs tonight. Maybe we're already preaching to those who are of single purpose and mind. Perhaps we're all here tonight for that one reason only, the total unity of the recognition of that treasure. Or maybe there are some difficulties still to be attended to. No man, not one single person can serve two masters. We can't say, I love the Lord, but nevertheless I'm taking time out every second Sunday to go ice skating. It's not on. Except not in summer, I suppose, either. First um, John. Do you have ice over here at all? First John, chapter 2. And verse 15. These are familiar scriptures. We're not uh, suggesting otherwise. Verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Well, uh, that is uh, as positive a statement and as powerful a statement as you could ever read. If our affections, if our motivations, if our desires, stronger word, if our lusts are towards the things of the world, and somehow on the line we seem to manage to fit in sometimes in service to the Lord, then something is dramatically and drastically wrong. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. And the world passes away and the lust or desires thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And Paul spoke in 2 Timothy about a man, Demas, 
We read here, Bodemus hath forsaken me, he wrote. In the Amplified it says, deserted me, having loved this present world. And I wonder how many people you personally know, and certainly the assembly as a whole is aware of, who have uh, found people deserting the ways of God because they have loved this present world. They have felt restricted. They have felt they had to give up something. They felt they were a bit hamstrung in some way or other, that their life wasn't as independent now as they were used to, that they seemed to have to answer to a higher authority in different matters. And because of that, the allurement of the world and the general presentation that it gives was strong, stronger than their desire towards the things of God. Luke chapter 14. I'm moving quickly. got a few scriptures to get through. Luke chapter 14. And verse 16. Luke 14, verse 16. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And we would say that to every person here tonight, whether you're spiritual or not, everything is ready for you. The blessing of the Lord is freely available. Jesus Christ is in our midst. The Holy Spirit is brooding over us. For the Spirit-filled, he's brooding in us. He's enlivened us and quickened us. His benefits are freely available to us all. The, the supper is here. We can feast upon the great things of God tonight and every single day of our life for eternity. Come, for all things are now ready. And they with one consent began to make excuse, to give their refusals, to decline the offer, to in some way avoid or reject this great calling. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. He was wondering whether someone might have pinched it, picked it up and taken it somewhere else, or it might have perhaps uh, sunken somewhere and disappeared on him. He wanted to go back and have a look at it. Verse 19, another said, I have brought, uh, bought five yoke of oxen. I go to prove them. It was probably half past nine at night, truth be known. I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife. No further explanation given. And therefore I cannot come. No hope in the world. I've got a wife. You'd understand that. If you've got a wife, you've got to give up. Amazing, isn't it? These three things seem to represent what in the Old Testament were legitimate uh, reasons for not going to war for 12 months. Uh, three reasons were given. If you were building a house, if you were planting a vineyard, or had you been married uh, just recently, you're entitled to be excused from military duty for 12 months. So maybe they thought that if they could uh, invoke the Old Testament uh, law and so on, they would be excused. There are no excuses in 1980 for every single person in this hall tonight. Not one single acceptable excuse. Oh, there are plenty of reasons, but there are no excuses. Many a person has offered all sorts of explanations why I can't come to a meeting, why I can't get down and pray tonight, why I don't want to listen to this, why I don't want to be baptised, 
Why I don't believe in tongues? Why I don't believe in the healing power of God? Why I refuse to be associated with this thing or that thing? Why I can't come to the meetings? Oh, I'd like to stay Sunday nights, but... Oh, well, uh, we live a fair way away, you know, from the, the hall on, on a Tuesday night. Uh, I've got to get up fairly early Wednesday and, uh, or I've got uh, other things to attend to. After I'm a busy man, whatever the reasons, they're not excuses. Not acceptable. Nothing is acceptable. We are called in this life to serve the Lord, all the people said. Anything else is not secondary. It's way down the bottom of the list. It doesn't start just under the kingdom. It starts down the bottom and works its way down. The gap between God's kingdom and number two is infinite. And I've jotted some things down and I'm sure that you could, uh, as I said before, add to this list. And I might add that as we start off this list, uh, the things themselves aren't necessarily, there are in many cases some problems and difficulties, but the things themselves in many cases are not a problem. Our attitude is the problem. What price the kingdom? Now I've known plenty of people who uh, uh, get involved in their work, for example. Now the Bible tells us unless we work, we don't eat. And that's reasonable. We should be uh, a, a good worker. We should be a good testimony, a good example. But when we start to want to take on the extra work, when we're starting to look uh, for some uh, uh, appra appraisal from uh, the boss and start to be looking to see whether he's noticing us, us or not or whether he's giving us some recognition or not, when we're starting to, to offer our services perhaps on meeting nights, maybe we start to work weekends, maybe we take on a second job or maybe it's just the overtime which seems to catch up to us. Or then we start to get involved with people and we get along to some of the functions not only do we go along, we seem to be fitting in with the functions they have, wherever they may be, at the motel or the hotel or whatever. And we're finding ourselves now becoming not only a workman, but one who is part and parcel of that work scene. I believe that uh, uh, we have an opportunity at work to witness and testify. We certainly need uh, that uh, uh, means of, of living and support generally and so on. But that's all we want to work for. We're looking to, to uh, have our rest for eternity, all the people said. No one wants to work in the kingdom. So we work today merely as a, a means to just keep us in the time being. But our work is the work of the Lord. Our calling and our service is preaching the gospel. Our associations, our functions, our get-togethers are in the body of Christ. We have nothing in common whatsoever with those people in the world. It's the, the soil that we've got to turn over and plant the seed of eternal life. But apart from that, we have nothing in common. Except, of course, those work people. Maybe uh, you're employed by a spiritual person. And you can count yourself lucky for that, if that's the case. Um, friendships. A number of people said at camp, which I think is very relevant, that if we find ourselves seeming to spend a lot of time with other people outside of our fellowship, in friendship, perhaps we, we spend two or three days a week playing squash and then we go off to some other function or some activity or other or whatever and we seem to be associating ourselves, there are dangers. Perhaps we need to recognise what price the kingdom. Are we getting too attached, too involved? Are we getting too bogged down with other things? Even our own family can rob us, particularly if we've uh, 
We've got a situation, perhaps with husband and wife or, or mother or father who are, are not part of God's uh, uh, kingdom at this stage and we're certainly wanting to impress them. But I've known people who have their brother-in-law drop around at five to three on a Sunday and uh, they don't come to the meeting. They didn't feel like they should tell their brother-in-law that they go to church Sunday afternoon. Well, I think we need to recognise that God expects us to be in fellowship Sunday afternoon and if they don't want to come along with you, then they can wait home until you get back there at five o'clock. All the people said. All the people said. Good. Sometimes we, uh, we don't want to leave our, our animals. I just, these aren't in order of priority. I don't know whether we should follow our wife and husband with our animals, but anyway, that's what's on the list. Um, we, we feel that we can't go to camp or we, we can't go to a meeting uh, uh, on Sunday afternoon and Sunday night because the dog won't get fed. Well, perhaps the dog can starve for two hours. He'll survive. And so will the cat and so will the canary and so will the pigs and uh, whatever else you may have uh, snorting around at home. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, I remember once uh, going out to witness to uh, a, people, uh, a, couple, a couple on a farm and uh, we were talking about uh, how uh, they were to be involved and so on. They weren't baptised or spirit-filled and she said, oh, we can't get to meetings. And I said, why is that? She said, oh, we've got the farm. And... Uh, I said, oh, well, that shouldn't be a, a real bother to you. Uh, you know, I understand that you've got harvest time and seed time and so on, uh, but generally speaking, you should be able to get in, surely. And uh, she said, oh, well, I, I guess, you know, we could try and reorganise our life and so on. And after a bit of a conversation, I said, look, if it becomes such a situation that after your spirit-filled, emphasise the thought that it was not a lot of uh, point in considering at this stage, let's get spirit-filled and see what our attitudes are afterwards. But if your attitude is such that you want to serve the Lord, that you want to find time for him, perhaps you'd better sell the farm. All the people said. And I didn't say she had to sell the farm. I said perhaps you might have to consider selling the farm if it got so bad. Now we talked for three hours that night and what got around afterwards as she grumbled and moaned about my coming out that night was he told me I had to sell the farm. And that's all she remembered. And it's not what I said anyway. And I think we can suddenly see what I'm talking about tonight. What price the kingdom? She didn't care about God's kingdom. It was the farm. All she heard all night was her farm was in jeopardy. We might have to sell the farm. Horrors! There was a, f a fire out there. I have it burnt down. Uh, and they're still not in the Lord. 18 months later. Some people spend time on their gardens and their house and their boat and their hobbies and their sport and so on. It's good to have a hobby perhaps. If you have a hobby, don't have it on Tuesday nights. Have it on a Monday night. That's provided that you again can spend some time in serving the Lord. And someone rings you up and says, will you come and have some prayer with me? Sorry, I'm doing my sewing tonight. It's sewing night. I don't go out Monday nights. We've got to understand what price the kingdom We've got to recognise what have we valued over and above God's kingdom. Talking about sport, I've mentioned this in Dubbo, so bear with me, folk. Uh, and I, I emphasise that there's no problem in playing sport, but this uh, was just brought home to me one particular uh, Saturday afternoon. I'd been spirit-filled for a little while and I was still playing for the local team there. And one particular... I don't know whether I've said this in Adelaide. Have I ever said this in Adelaide? No. Oh, well, I'll say it again. It won't matter. It'll be different this time. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
this particular Saturday afternoon uh, uh, we were batting and uh, the team uh, was sitting in the pavilion and I was out there batting and uh, uh, this particular day they were starting to open up the keg a little earlier than normal. When the keg was open at 6 o'clock I used to go straight home but now it was 3 o'clock and they were opening it 3 hours too early and I was out there batting. Anyhow one or two people had, uh, had uh, partaken of about half the keg I think and uh, one of the other batsmen came out uh, replacing one that was uh, uh, dismissed and uh, we were batting out there for a couple of minutes and I played this glorious shot. <laughs> that wasn't in the last time. Uh, and I called for a run, you see, and it was an easy run, perhaps a couple of runs, and I got the other end and there was this other teammate of mine, supposedly a teammate, uh, sitting on the end of his uh, uh, bat and said, Go back, I'm running for a run. <laughs> Stunned, I ran back. I got halfway back again at the other, other end and uh, I was run out. <laughs> that didn't help my constitution anyway, but apart from that, as I was walking back to the pavilion, I thought to myself, I'm a spirit-filled person. I'm the son of God and I've been run out in a cricket match by a drunk. <laughs> I never played cricket again, competitively apart from our fun and games at Karakalinga. Uh, I'm not suggesting that people have necessarily got to give up their sport and so on, but I can also remember one time in Melbourne where I'd been playing football and I was again a fairly keen footballer, Australian rules. It's all right to say that uh, down here in New South Wales they boo uh, if you mention Australian rules. Uh, they play that funny game where you sort of jump on each other and, and I don't know what it is, it's a funny thing, yes. Uh, and one particular Saturday afternoon I was uh, due to play football and I was asked to give a talk at a prayer and fasting. Now I was a naughty boy. I'd never been to a prayer and fasting. Yet alone given a talk at one, I used to play football or cricket on a Saturday afternoon. And it was suddenly drawn to my attention that, uh, goodness, what have I been doing? And you know, I actually thought about it. Now do I want to give a talk at this prayer and fasting or, or do I want to play football? I, I feel ashamed to, to admit that perhaps but I'm sure many of us have been that way about a number of other things. And I thought to myself, well, if I, if I uh, go to the coach and say I'm not available next Saturday, I might never be available again. Uh, he might never want to choose me again. I might never be picked for another game. I thought, well, that's ridiculous. I've got to serve the Lord first. And so I went to the prayer and fasting, as I say, my first ever. I feel ashamed to admit that. Uh, and then, uh, as a matter of fact, I continued the rest of that season, but I resigned from the football club too. And so I recognised the price of the kingdom. And maybe sometimes we need to be pricked because we've made a choice sometimes and it's been the wrong one. We've made a decision. I'll stay home. There's a good film on tonight. Wrong. We've decided perhaps I'm feeling a little tired tonight. Oh, anyway, it's, uh, it's probably something from the book of Revelation anyway. I can never understand it. Uh. <laughs> I've had people say to me oh, I didn't go to the meeting last night I stayed home and prayed wrong you pray Monday nights and come to meetings on Sunday all the people said I, I don't like super spiritual people who tell me that they can stay home and pray now, we can pray uh, for about 22 hours of a day and spend two of them at a meeting uh, and so there are many reasons why we find ourselves not able uh, to get ourselves along or to commit ourselves. Cars, motorbikes, TV, 
radio, CB radio, the stereo, tapes, music. You know, there's no doubt about it, many a person not only listening to it, and we've got to, we've got to remember that we'd better be hanging loose there as far as some of the music of this world is concerned. And uh, I suggest in most cases it might be better to throw it away. Uh, but I'm talking about also people who, uh, who are involved with playing music. Many a person we've known over the years has uh, uh, perhaps been part of a group, part of some touring band and uh, may have in the enthusiasm of the first moment of their experience given it away. But then after 12 months or a year, two years or whatever, they suddenly start to reflect on it. Oh, I could have been part of that group. I could have been in the limelight. And here I am now uh, uh, just uh, strumming along here in a uh, more or less uh, amateurish sort of way on a Sunday afternoon or Sunday night. And they put a price on the kingdom once again. Their guitar was more important. Their association with the group, their, their tapes, their records, their various bits of uh, equipment and so on become more important. Many a person is wanting to cling to their old food habits Oh, don't tell me what I should do or shouldn't do. Their drink, their smoking, their drugs, their clothes. Many a person objects to the thought that they might have to change their style of appearance. They're having their freedom taken away, many suggest, and yet they are conforming to the world. They are fashioning themselves according to their former lusts and they want to wear their see-through gear and they want to have the no-bra look, and they want to have the sort of general hippie bohemian presentation, which they feel is their independence. No, it's not. It's their subjection to the world. That's not liberty. That's bondage. We've been set free from having to look like every other Tom, Dick and Harry. Let's look like God's children, all the people said. And... uh, we're a little bit crooked on some people who, who roll up uh, as if they'd more or less just finished the rubbish run. <laughs> and uh, we're talking about also our style of talking, our style of uh, attitude and so on. Many people, and uh, uh, we've got to be tolerant, of course, as we go along and encouraging them so on. Drug terminology, Uh, which so many people have been used to saying in their old uh, way of living and so on, we need to be able to break that habit and that bondage. We need to be able to break our our attitude to uh, swearing, our general loose talk and presentation and so on. We've got to get rid of our old religious ideas and the books and the tapes. There are lots and lots of things, and I probably haven't covered maybe your particular one. It may be that you just happen to like going fishing at 2.30 on Sunday afternoon. It's amazing the number of people who do something on Sunday morning at around about 11, 11.30 which is destined to take four hours and get them either to miss the meeting or to arrive at 4.15. It happens practically every Sunday. I know people who seem to just at the very last minute decide at 2.30 they'll cook a roast dinner on Sunday afternoon. And uh, they can't get themselves to a meeting then because it's so uh, disorganised. It's crazy, isn't it? Romans chapter 12. Now hang on, I haven't finished Luke yet. (laughs) We'll keep looking there. Uh, We're at verse 20. Another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Uh, So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. 
then the master of the house being angry said to the servant and there's no doubt about it we can picture uh, the Lord in our uh, sort of situation that we present to him our alternatives our options, our choices, the things that limit us, the things that bind us down, the things we want to hang on to, the things we get disgruntled about. But, but I want to do that. I want to look that way. But, but I want my hair that way. Uh, who is he to tell me that I should change this or that? And why shouldn't I uh, drift in at half past three if I feel like it? What does it matter to him? All of these sorts of things we've got to be careful about. And the master the one we really have to pay our homage to, it's not the pastor. Our homage, our respect, our allegiances, oh sure, are to the assembly and to one another and the oversight generally of course. But we are answerable in the final long term process to Jesus Christ who's going to judge the situation. Verse 25. And, then, uh, and there were, went great multitudes with him and he turned and said unto them, if any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and his children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Well, that's powerful. If you're not prepared to override and take the spiritual recognition of what our life is all about, if we are uh, pampering to our, our natural, as, uh, as our brother and pastor Jock was saying this morning down at camp there, if we are only seeing through natural eyes, if we've only got an appreciation of, oh, a little bit of bubbling here and there, it's nice to come along and cup of tea perhaps afterwards and the general thought of numbers and involvement and so on, if we can only see through natural eyes, we're not a true disciple. We are not a true disciplined one. A disciplined one is one who's prepared to drop anything and everything to follow the master. And sometimes people say to us crazy things about what they might have to give up or alter or change or rectify in some way and yet many other people have changed their whole way of life and are not looking for any recognition for it. They understand that's what ought to be done. The Bible's not saying here we need to hate our father or mother. The word is in opposition here. The word means to oppose on spiritual grounds. We are to honour and respect our mother and father in the natural things. But as uh, uh, Pastor Jock was talking about this morning, uh, uh, Jesus' mother didn't understand her son. He was on a different plane. He was spiritual and she was natural. And she only became spiritually enlightened on the day of Pentecost when she was filled with the Holy Ghost and fire and spoke in tongues. And if our parents are not in the Lord, they're on a different plane. Be nice to them uh, when you're having a cup of tea, but when it comes to spiritual truths, when it comes to how you should act, how you should conduct yourselves, where you should be at the right time, at the right place, they have no idea at all. And you are, or meant to be, the spiritual giants in the situation, all the people said. So we've got to oppose any that would in some way try to interfere or inadvertently interfere with our walk in the Lord. Verse 27, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation and uh, is not able to finish it, 
all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king goeth out to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. In the Amplified it says, be prepared to renounce or to surrender our claim upon, to give up or to say goodbye to. We must be at any instant in our attitude, in our heart, in our desire to the Lord to surrender our claim on anything and everything on the face of this globe. At an instant's notice, nothing should ever hold us, bind us, keep us, interfere with our walk in the Lord. Not a single thing. Otherwise we have no claims on the kingdom. What price the kingdom of God Yes, I love the Lord, but it's always a good feature movie on Sunday nights. And after all, what does it really matter? I'm there pretty regularly. And and what about the fact that uh, the boss has asked me to work every second Sunday? That doesn't really matter. And so our competition has changed over from Saturday afternoon to Sunday afternoon cricket now. Oh, I've been pretty good up to now. I don't think it'll matter here or there. There's always a buy or two and I'll be able to fit in our church service and I'll probably be able to come Sunday night. Even if I am so tired, I fall asleep in a back row in the corner somewhere. I'm sure I'll be around. And we always seem to, in some way or other, rationalise our position. We don't want any rationalisation. That's another uh, ideology of mankind. We want to see the truths and the home truths are all or nothing. There are no halfway measures with the Lord. Yet the Lord is never anywhere really telling us that you've got to just simply give everything away and never ever look at TV again and never ever go to the movies or whatever. The Lord is not asking us particularly here uh, on that frame uh, or that way of thinking. The Lord is saying, what is your attitude? Are you laying up treasure in heaven? Or are you lying up treasure on earth? For where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Where is your God? The kingdom? Or is it some idol that we've manufactured? Do we think a lot about our house? Do we think at meetings? Oh, but I've got a few things I've got to do tonight when I get home. Oh, I've got to change uh, the sprinklers over and I've got to uh, just attend to that rose bush. Which, oh, I wonder if it's fallen over during the strong winds. We're all guilty of it. We're guilty of thinking, or even in our prayer time, we get down and we're wondering whether or not we'll get fish and chips for tea in between the meeting, or whether it'll be a pizza tonight, or maybe a hamburger. We're, we're desiring the lusts of the belly at that time. <laughs> we've got all sorts of things which interfere with us. Uh, we've got to bring our thoughts and mind into captivity to Christ. We've got to be prepared to recognise the kingdom first. Now, I don't know when I started, so I don't know when I should finish. Romans chapter 12. When did I start exactly? Oh, good. Oh, well, we've got another four hours then. Uh, where was I going? Oh, Romans chapter 12. I'm going to tell a joke or two tonight, but... 
the Dubbo people have probably heard them before and uh, they only laugh once out of loyalty and <laughs> no one else would be laughing so I thought I'd better not. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable, all right. It's more than reasonable. God plucked us out of total despair. And I have many people you talk to and say, oh, but the world isn't all that bad. I know some nice people and so on. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the two, the world or the kingdom of God. And the moment we start to think, oh, but there are certain things, I think we're putting a label on the kingdom of God. I think we're starting to fit the kingdom of God somewhere in the, the ladder, like the, the Australian Rules League ladder. This week, kingdom of God running fifth. Next week, the kingdom of God might get in the four, depending on how attitude is. Next week, it's the wooden spoon. We're involved with yachting. Someone came around with a brand new yacht and we spent all weekend somewhere other. I don't know where you go over here, but anyway, somewhere other yachting and we fluctuate according to the form of that week. We're told here it's a reasonable thing. It's a, our spiritual worship to centre our thoughts and mind and activities and our heart and our desire towards serving the Lord. To present or to yield your bodies an enlivened, dedicated sacrifice or presentation to God. And be not conformed to this world. I remember Pastor John himself saying many years back, about if we had a person come here or perhaps he was a Methodist minister and he uh, eventually received the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues as we know he would and should and could uh, we wouldn't expect that person to be sitting in the front row with his collar still back at the front we would expect him by then to have straightened himself out and know which direction he's travelling in uh, and not be going backwards and we would say to that person you don't wear that sort of gear here we're not like that or we wouldn't expect the Salvation Army person to still be throwing tambourines up in the air and catching them and so on. Uh, I shouldn't say that, but I remember when we were first up in Dubbo about two and a half years ago now, we had a meeting in a particular uh, part of the Civic Administration building there, which is the council buildings, and one particular uh, elderly lady came in with three of her associates uh, from a town about 40 miles north of Dubbo, and they happened to be Pentecostal people. And... Uh, well, she must have, I don't know whether she carried it, she might have been Salvation Army before that. They sat in the front row, uh, uh, our brother Johnny Lee, you might know him, some of you, uh, was leading the singing, I didn't know what to do. Uh, there was this lady, she whipped out from under a dress or somewhere or other this tambourine and she was a juggler as well it seems. <laughs> and off she'd go with it, you see. And uh, all the way through the meeting she was doing this, eventually I got on the platform and of course some of these people uh, seem to really agree with everything you say. It doesn't matter what you say. Amen, hallelujah, brother, amen. She was in the front row. She was no further away than about there. And, uh, oh, well, I guess one can only stand that for about three amens and two hallelujahs. And I said, excuse me, that's very off-putting. And uh, she sunk into her chair and never spoke again anything to us, not even goodbye. <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? 
Be not conformed to this world. You see, it was fashionable to be this sort of super spiritual sort of person who more or less, if you says uh, anything to them at all, they would immediately say amen or hallelujah and, and jump up and down and wave tambourines at you and, and uh, all sorts of things. We're not to be conformed. And if we used to be a hippie, then we're not to be conformed to that anymore. If we used to uh, like uh, drifting around in a pair of boxing shorts and a, a pair of thongs and, and, uh, and no top on and our hair covering our face, I know I knew whether we were coming or going, uh, then we need to change all the people said. We need to understand that our lifestyle has to change. And you know, some people, you go and visit them and you can't get into their house because the noise is so strong from some uh, uh, stereo that they've got on that it almost forms an impenetrable barrier. It becomes almost a physical thing and you can't get into the place. Now, something's wrong somewhere. We've got to have, and I'm not going to go through all that list again, but we've got to recognise that we are not what we were. And for those people who are not spirit-filled, you are going to become something different to what you are now. And it's going to be out of this world. And if we want to put ourselves back into this world again, we're crazy. We have taken out a Woolworth label and stuck it on the kingdom. And we've put a discount on the kingdom of God. Going at half price. Crazy. There is no way. Thank you. It was good to get... <laughs> Glad someone is listening. Uh, it's crazy that we should in any way try to tag God's kingdom. If work interferes, stop work. Change your job. Don't say to me, oh, but I prayed about it and God led me to this job which doesn't allow me to get to any meeting. <laughs> I've had people say that. I'm sure Pastor John and others would say the same thing. I've been on my knees and this job seemed to come up and, uh, and uh, uh, well, I'm sorry, I can't get to meetings for six months but we're hoping to reorganise it. When I get to know the boss, I'll, I'll put it to him. <laughs> Crazy talk. We ought to know what the will and purpose of God is and God wants us here. He wants us available. He wants us with our, our feet shod and our, our loins girt about with the preparation of the gospel and, and uh, the, the whole attitude of God in tune with the things of, of his word and his spirit and his power. And he wants us ready. If things have got to be changed, change them. Don't even stop to think about it. If your guitar is a problem, put it in the tip and break it first in case you're tempted to go and get it at midnight or whatever. Get rid of the thing. Now, somebody's guitar is no problem to them, but to someone else, it's a nightmare. Not only to them, but to the oversight as well. <laughs> be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Bible says all things have become new. Make your mind in tune with what God says you are. That you may prove or discriminate, spiritually discern, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We've got to understand, what do you want with me, Lord? I can remember the story of Balaam in the Old Testament. You know, it seems to be a contradiction there. I don't know whether you've read the story of Balaam, not uh, more recently or whatever, uh, but uh, God allowed Balaam to do the very thing which God said he didn't want Balaam to do. And that seems to happen to a lot of people. They end up doing something which they have already known is wrong. And yet they force the issue they pester, they continue on until ultimately God says, all right, have it your way and do it that way. I'm not condoning it. You've forced the issue. And of course we know the situation of Balaam, those who have read it. Balaam was riding along on a donkey 
And the silly ass spoke to him and told him how stupid he was. And the Lord couldn't have made any plainer to anybody whether or not he was doing the right thing. He did that thing which he desired to do. And because it worked out, we can't say, Oh, thank you, Lord. Aren't you so gracious to me to allow me to have this thing? Oh, isn't it good? I've now been picked for the Australian soccer team and I'll never be able to come to a meeting for the next three years. (laughs) It's silly talk. But people go on that way and Balaam did and he came a cropper because of it. God let him go because Balaam's desire was to oppose the will and purpose of God. Now I must finish somewhere surely. Matthew 19. <coughs> One thing about this is I can always go home to Dubbo and, and Pastor John has got the responsibility of picking up the pieces and <laughs> trying to explain what did he mean exactly. <laughs> Matthew 19. Does that mean I've got to wear a suit to every meeting and have my hair cut off and be bald or whatever. Matthew 19. (laughs) Matthew 19 and verse 27. You don't always follow the pastor's leading in some of these things, you know. (laughs) Verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all, good old Peter, and followed thee, What shall we have therefore? I don't know whether we ought to be putting ourselves quite in that position. Well, Lord, you know, I took my guitar out last night and I smashed it to smithereens with the axe. Now what am I going to (laughs) get? Well, I suppose it's a question of attitude again, isn't it? We're not talking about some of these things which are necessarily hindrance to anybody. We want our guitarists... We want our people who are obviously involved in all different activities and attitudes and so on. There are certain things which the Bible condemns outright. We recognise that strong drink are not for God's people. Smoking is not for God's people. Drug taking is not for God's people. We recognise a number of things which are quite clearly, obviously, not acceptable. And uh, I remember going to Pastor Lloyd once and saying to him, uh, should I play football or not? This was after I came to the Lord. Well, the question isn't not whether we play football. What's your attitude to football? What counts the most? What is important in your life? Do you think more about getting to football training and wondering or not whether you're going to get picked or whether or not you've got a sore ankle this week or or whether the calf muscle is playing up or whatever? Or are you wondering about whether you can get uh, involved with the word and whether you've got time to pray and whether you're going to be able to witness to somebody this day or that day? It's all a question of attitude, all the way on the line. Verse 28, And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, that you which have followed me in the regeneration, and he's talking here prophetically about you and I, the born again experience. We're talking about those who have been regenerated by the power of God's Spirit. And for those who have not been born again, we'll give you a chance in a moment. You're probably saying, I wish you'd shut up, I want to get baptised. We'll give you a chance in a moment. those who have opportunity now to be born again, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, he also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses, and all that goes with it, brethren or sisters, and all the philosophies and theologies, and all the writings and the tapes and the shows, and everything that goes with it, the father and the mother and the upbringing, what we've been led to believe and all the things that go with that, the wife 
<laughs> and all that goes with that, the children, the lands, anything, you name it, you can put in that situation which uh, perhaps is uh, best for you in that uh, particular verse. And it says here, shall receive a hundredfold. Hope he doesn't mean we get a hundred wives up there. Uh, <laughs> fortunately elsewhere it says there's no giving and taking in the marriage and in the kingdom so he must mean something else there. That's good. And shall inherit everlasting life. What the Lord is saying, there is nothing you can give up or forsake or surrender or change in your life. There's nothing you can do for me which you never say to me, Lord you're in debt to me. I've done such and such. There is not one single thing that we can ever claim priority for the Lord. Lord, I have altered my life. Whoopee, we're supposed to alter our life. We're supposed to be a new creation. We're supposed to recognise and behold all things are new. We're supposed to understand now that we live to serve the Master. We are supposed to recognise that's what our life is all about. We're supposed to understand we were born to be born again and for no other reason. And he says here, I am in no debt to any person. You serve me and I will increase it a hundredfold and not only that, you'll be able to enjoy all that I give you for eternity. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. If we put this world first, we're out the back door. If we put the kingdom first, in our life, then we're going to move into everlasting life. And what the Lord is saying to us is what value do we put on his kingdom? What price have we put on his experience? Is it, as it should have been in his own parable, the priceless value that the man who stumbled upon the treasure sold everything and the one who sought out the, the pearls when he found the goodly pearl gave up everything for that find. Because that's what Jesus Christ our Saviour said we should be like. And in 1980, let's have a look at ourselves. Let's take stock of this year and say to ourselves, where do I fit in? What value have I put on the kingdom? What is my appreciation? What is my valuation of God's realm and my position in it? And our answer ought to be, there are no comparisons. All the people said. Let's bow in prayer a moment.